Welcome to the only Dream Big podcast, starring your host Donnie Bedney. Donnie is the president of PSP Metrics and has been in the assessment and human capital management industry for more than 15 years. Get ready as Donnie, together with industry experts, share how you can create better workplaces, improve employee experiences, and ultimately drive change through people. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Only Dream Big Pod. I am your host, Donnie Bedney, and so, so excited uh, to have my next guest uh, with us, Don McPherson. Don, thank you so much for joining us uh, on the show. Thanks for having me, Donnie. I'm excited to have this conversation. I think there are there is no doubt that based on like our pre-brief conversation and all of that, that there are going to be a number of nuggets, gems, like insert synonym uh, that will be dropped today. Uh, so, so excited to kind of hop in. But can you tell our listeners uh, a little bit more about the work that you do at 12 Geniuses? Sure. 12 Geniuses is comprised of three components. There's the podcast, which is named 12 Geniuses. And I go around the world and interview geniuses about trends shaping the way we live and work. We've now put out six seasons of the podcast, been doing that for the last four years. And tomorrow I will start with our first Futurist Friday series that's running over the summer. So I'm talking with 12 futurists over the course of the summer. And the idea behind it is to help leaders, business leaders, become better visionaries for their organizations. So I'm talking with these futurists around how they vet their sources, what, what is a can't-miss podcast or uh, author that, that they won't miss, mm. talk about what trends they're following and, and that sort of thing. So really to help our audience become better visionaries and forward-thinking in their organizations. That's so that's, that's the, first, the first part of the company, and then I do public speaking on these trends. So mm. companies will hire me to talk about 12 trends that are shaping the 2020s. Mm-hmm. And then the last part is I do consulting, helping organizations improve their employee experience. So it's those three things. Um, and as, as I shared with you just a moment ago, we are now at the point of monetizing the podcast. So I'm very, very excited about that as well. Really good. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And it, and it seems just so intertwined, right? Um, you know, all of those things. Um, how do you, just, it, just curious, how do you define futurist? So what, what, what do you, what, what, how would you define someone as a futurist? Well, it's an actual title, and people get uh, an AFP degree, I think, or a certificate, mm-hmm. uh, which is a, a, you know, a certified futurist. Sure. And there's a community of these people out there. I am not one of them. I talk yeah. with a lot of them, okay. but they go out and they, they study these trends, and there's models that they use to identify trends and pick up on signals. Um, sure. So it's it's an actual occupation. Um, okay. Yeah. And they're brilliant. Oh, my gosh. Uh, amazingly yeah. brilliant people and accurate. That's yeah. what's so crazy about it is, you know, if you look back at, at history, you'll see a guy like Ray Kurzweil, mm-hmm. who predicted mobile technologies decades in advance. And, yep. you know, the, the ideas that he had years ago are – you know, very close to what actually happened. And so, you know, if you think about some of the things that people are predicting now mm-hmm. around where artificial intelligence will be in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, it's, it's mind-blowing. Humanity wow. is on the precipice of dramatic, dramatic changes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, uh, it, funny enough, the timing of our conversation, I, I 
I had a tweet the other day because uh, I've had some thoughts about the difference between like a thought leader and uh, a futurist uh, for a little while. And I've defined a futurist as someone who knows a, a, a whole lot and, and basically has a very clear understanding of the current state of the world. And then also utilizing that to then push everyone towards the future and where we should be. Um, but but I view a thought leader as someone who knows a whole lot about what used to be true and just enough about what's currently going on to be dangerous. Um, and, and the fact that and, and, and the tweet was like, we need more futurists and, and, and fewer thought leaders, especially at this really unique time that we're living through. Right. I, I believe and, and we talked about this a little bit before, but um, I believe that we're living through a black swan event. And so. If if that is the case, then everything BC or before COVID, um, you know, is, is almost irrelevant based on like a significant shift in values that we're seeing and all of that. And so, how can organizations, you know, really wh where can they point to? Who can they depend on? Don McPherson and others, well, um, you know, in, in order to really, uh, it, you know, get more of a grasp of the current state of the world as they're thinking about the type of organization and culture that they want to build, um, you know, in the future. So um, just seems like that's something that, that you are constantly having conversations with others about and, and probably talking to organizations about as well. It is. It absolutely is. And I have a couple of comments based on what you said. And I think your, your definition of a futurist is accurate. The thing that I would add to that is most of the futurists I talk to have a very, very good sense of the past. And we'll draw on that sense of the past to make sense of the present and the future. And so that's sure. something that a lot of the changes that we go through are cyclical. And so sure. having an understanding of the past is important. And so even with our political divide, it's, it's things that we have experienced in the past. Sure. Not necessarily with the technological capabilities that we have today but we have gone through these we've ha we have had these divisions in the past and so looking at that is important and the sure. other thing i will say is regarding to bc the comment on bc before covid i really view covid as an accelerant Agreed. we were going to walk we were going to evolve into working from home but covid just made it happen really quickly we were going to have mental health challenges, mm -hmm. but COVID really amplified those mental health challenges. And so mm -hmm. it's, it, it's been an accelerant on a lot of different fronts that I think is really amazing and, and quite positive in a lot of ways. And obviously it has been negative and challenging for a lot of people, a lot of organizations yeah. and countries, frankly. Yeah, yeah. No, and, and, and spot on, my friend. I mean, you know, one of the things um, I know that I was reading prior to, as you talk about, you know, mental health, mental wellness, um, loneliness apparently was trending up before, um, you know, global pandemic, right? And so, to your point, it was only going to be accelerated when you're forced into isolation. In the same way, having conversations with former clients they, they literally said, hey, um, we have been able to accomplish and, and become more aligned as an organization over the past three to five months, whereas historically, uh, it, 
this person that had been with their organization for close to 20 years, they said this would have historically taken us three to five years to make mm. these changes. Yeah, I guess it's not surprising. And it goes back to that accelerant. We were, we've been forced to learn new things and do things differently and to achieve the objectives that we had prior. And yeah. so, yeah, it's, it's a very interesting time to be alive. And, you know, the other thing that I will say is we're ending, we're approaching the end of the first quarter. And mm. we, t- today is what, June 9th. And you might yep. say, well, we're actually, we're approaching the second quarter. No, we're approaching the end of the first quarter of the, of this decade. Yeah. And I believe, and, and prior to the decade, I, I thought the 2020s would be one of the most disruptive decades in human history. Wow. Up there with the decade of the 1940s, with the Black Plague, with the wow. World War One, the 1990s. Okay. And, and I, now I, I, and that was before the pandemic, before, you know, January 6th, sure. before the war in Ukraine. And now I'm saying that the first quarter of this decade will be the least disruptive of the four quarters. And like, wow. Wow. Okay. Well, what, wow. you know, what what's going to happen? But we get to decide what that disruption is like. Yeah. Is it positive disruption or is it negative disruption? Now notice I, I mentioned the 1990s as being a very disruptive decade and it was, sure. but it wasn't a negatively disruptive decade. It was actually a decade in which hundreds of millions of people experienced freedom for the first time, yeah. right? With the fall of the Soviet union. And so they they got exposed to democracy and they get to vote and their economies were able to expand and explode and look at what has happened to, to Asia since the 1990s. Like, that's mind-blowing. So we get to decide, Donnie, whether this is positive disruption, do we advance humanity, or yeah. do we regress and, and is it very negatively disruptive? Wow. Um <laughs> Oh man! So where are you going with that? Where are so you going with that, my friend? My friend. Um, <laughs> we, we we need to pivot and dig into that a little bit more. And I mean, so well, what before we do that? Um, can can we can can we move a little bit to? Because I'm sure some folks are curious, and and obviously they can read a little bit about your background and you know some of those things. But can you can you talk through? Because I think you have a, a an extremely interesting background. But can can we talk through just a little bit? about your background and how, you know, kind of this evolution towards, you know, to, to where you are today, um, which was driven by you also, you know, running and, and, and growing businesses and, you know, all of that. Sure. Well, to, to go way back, I got, I got into this field of human resources and work technology back in the 1990s. And I was living in Germany uh, back in 1994, and I got a call uh, from my sister, incidentally, and she said, I know you're moving back. Do you want a temp job working on our employee survey? And I said, yeah, you know, I had nothing to do. So sure. I, I knew I, where I was moving and, and it was convenient. Yeah. And so this temp job that was supposed to last two months or something like that ended up to be, you know, a one-year gig. And then I turned it into a contracting thing. And then I started my own company. And then I met my business partner and we started a company that was an employee survey company, so a technology company measuring employee engagement. And it was yep. at that moment, around that time, that I realized that work can be something more than a paycheck, that work mm-hmm. can actually be, be fulfilling. So it was really yep. an eye-opening experience for me, and I got addicted to this. I really got addicted to helping people 
reach their full performance potential, making sure that they were doing what they should be doing, helping them finding their purpose. And so yeah. that's what I've been doing over the last 25, almost 30 years. Yeah. Yeah. It would absolutely amazing. And, and, you know, it, it's obviously like that this lens of people, I just think is so critical and, and it's a big aspect of what we're talking about today. Um, especially as you talk about accelerations of change and innovation, et cetera. Um, so can you can you give us any uh, you know looks into um, if, if the first quarter of this decade uh, is the least disruptive? What is it you know what does the future look like? Right, there's there's a lot of noise now about um, oh you know we need people to come back into the office because our downtowns are empty. Uh, but as I as I referenced it, you know it, the shift in values. Um, you know, I had a conversation with, uh, you know, Jim Clifton not too long ago. Uh, and I know that, you know, Gallup is always measuring these kinds of things. And, um, you know, it, and people are still looking for a good job, like globally and, and all of that. But I've just found it interesting that, you know, with this shift in values, as people are, you know, no longer having to do these really long commutes and are able to spend time with their loved ones a little bit more, and you can just come downstairs and, you know, I, I I can't imagine that productivity has necessarily dipped significantly. So, like, where's the disconnect, and and what are some of the new things as we think about the future, and some of those disruptive you know pieces in, in the next three quarters? <laughs> I'm like, we're gonna have to have a conversation offline or bring you back to the show because I'm sure we could have an entire show just on that. Well, I'll start off by looking out in the distant future. And then I'll try to bring it back a little bit for Perfect. us. If, yeah. When I think about the big problems that humanity has to solve, they're global in nature. So let's just take a couple as an example, climate change. So that's the one that's on the top of a lot of people's minds, sure. um, you know, our age and younger, certainly. Absolutely. Uh, so we need to address that. Uh, mm -hmm. Pollution is another one. Resource scarcity. Uh, we're realizing that we can't use water in the way that we have over the last 50, 70, 100 years. Sure. Um, so we have resource scarcity that you know, we're going to have to deal with. Um, data, I think, is one that we haven't really thought about. But the, the way that we have used data and allowed people to gather our data, sell our data, these are global all these problems are global in nature, mm. and yet we're aligned in a national governance way. Yeah. And sure. so when I think out very far into the future, our institutions mm -hmm. are not necessarily designed in order to solve the big problems that we have as mm. humanity. And so I can imagine some sort of reorganization to use kind of like an organization uh, analogy, we sure. need to reorganize in order to address these these Got problems. It. Because even if we if the United States went to net zero on greenhouse gas emissions, it yep. doesn't really matter. Because yeah, if the so. other parts of the world, if China, India, uh, the other industrialized nations don't, we're still not solving this problem. Yep. And so that's that's a big disruption that's going to happen as it relates to work and near term, uh, I'm really excited about some of these changes because I think we had problems in our cities. Let's use San Francisco as an example, a city that I love, but I really don't like going there now, or Seattle. Um, 
the, you know, the homelessness, the, the affordable housing issues in these cities, yep. um, you know, because we have great companies that have pro- provided incredibly high paying jobs for people. And it's just yep. priced people out of, yep. of those communities and, mm-hmm. and cause some of these issues. Well, I see working from home as a potential solution for that. So I grew up in a town of 2,500 people and I don't Me go too. back there. <laughs> I, I, I don't go back to that town, but I can see now that I have a family, I can see the appeal yeah. of making a nice living and living there and having a simpler life for my children. That's appealing. But that didn't exist 10 years ago when we weren't working from home. So yeah. I think that I'm very optimistic that working from home can potentially save some of our, our smaller towns and smaller communities, address yeah. some of the, the issues that big cities have, like New York, like Chicago, like San Francisco, yeah. Mm-hmm. LA, etc. And then the other thing that I'm optimistic about is if we have this reshuffling, this migration, because working from home allows for that, I think there's an opportunity for us to bridge this political divide that we have. If wow. you look at the map, if you look at the map of, of the country from the last presidential election, it's all red in the rural communities. Sure. Well, that's because there there aren't a lot of opportunities there. But if yeah. we start allowing people to make a nice living in those communities and, and invest yeah. in those communities, maybe those communities can turn around. Maybe we start to have conversations that we weren't having. So that's that's one thing that I'm very, very excited about and optimistic about, you know, as it relates to this next decade. Yeah. But it's going to require intentionality. It's going yeah. to require leaders who say, yeah, go yeah. go work there, maybe come back to the mothership to corporate headquarters once a quarter, once a month, whatever. Yeah. We'll design around you. But those are some of the things that I can see potentially happening if we allow them to happen. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you know, the, the funny thing, and I, I think you'll appreciate this, um, you know, I, I believe, because I've heard it a, a lot and read different periodicals and other things as I'm keeping track of this is, you know, remote working appears to have become kind of like a four-letter word for a lot of leaders who have built companies prior to, right? Um, but it's interesting because as I've had conversations with other leaders, um, and, I, and I've expressed uh, this interest in, you know, hey, I, I, my belief is that companies need to really focus on building what I refer to as decentralized cultures. Um, everyone is like, yes, that's exactly what we need. But for me, it's just a synonym on remote working, um, and 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 so it, it's it's extremely interesting to see, um, and and this is something that I I continue to to pay attention to is what organizations are kind of getting it right, um, and and frankly, I, I'd I'd argue it's basically just the ones that are willing to try, hmm. right, and and um, because it's it, it's one of the it has to be, as you think about acceleration, it, I, am I thinking about this correctly? If you think about um, the fact that you are no longer limiting your organization and, and the talent pool, if you will, that you can go after based on geographic, you know, whatever that geographic kind of, you know, uh, presence is, um, and which means that you could literally go after the top talent within those roles wherever they are, literally around the world. Around the world. That's absolutely right. And in fact, some tools enable that right now and have enabled it for a number of years. Um, As an example, I 
design my logo or had somebody design my logo mm -hmm. and the way that it worked was i filled out this oh i went through this software wizard that sure. talked about what what colors i like what design i typically like things like that and it yep. enabled me to get access to a hundred designers and they submitted their design ideas really? and then i chose the one that i liked and paid them fifteen hundred dollars or something like that yeah. a, a fraction of what i would have paid an agency sure. but i got to choose from hundreds of them okay. and my designer was from asia i think from indonesia okay. and she and i never talked um but we just communicated through this i mean it it was a really cool process for yeah. me to go through and then I'm sure that $1,500 was real money for, for the winner of this design. Yeah, sure. And, yeah. you know, so, so that, that sort of thing didn't exist. But, yes, I, to your point, the talent pool and yeah. the competitiveness for jobs really expands. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the reasons why I'm excited and also jealous yeah. and glad that i'm not <laughs> at the same time like all these things <laughs> no, i'm i'm right. glad that i'm not in the entry yeah. level because when i when i competed for a job you know it was somebody from down the road in minneapolis who i was sure. competing against yeah. not somebody from poland or from kenya or yeah. from brazil oh my but God. that's the reality today is yeah. today's graduates that's yeah. who they're competing against so okay. it's, it's really kind of interesting. But from a CEO perspective, yep. I want the best talent on my team. Sure. And it becomes, this is where leadership becomes so important and mm -hmm. more difficult than ever. More difficult than, than ever. You know, maybe there have been crises in the, in the past. So, you know, speaking of talent, and, and you just talked about that, and obviously I run a company myself. So, um, and, I, and I view that as part of my responsibility, right? It, it is, and some of this goes to this belief, which I, I'd love to hear some of your thoughts on this. Um, and, and I don't want to take us too far down the rabbit hole on this, but some of the historical thinking around talent has been, hey, we have X number of job recs or open roles uh, of which a lot of folks want to, you know, kind of hold on to. Um, but I believe that some of the some of the reasons behind that um, are, are based on the fact that people don't, at, at their core, really know who their top performers are. Mm -hmm. And if they had a way of identifying who their top, not only who their top performers are, but then to be able to go out and duplicate those top performers, right? So that let's just say that classic 20% that's giving you 80% of the results that you want. Then with this, uh, with no longer being limited from a geographic perspective, technically you could go out and, and duplicate that 20% and not necessarily have to fill all of the roles that you traditionally have filled with kind of, let's just say people who are not in the 20%, right? And and I know you referenced like, you know, some of those, uh, it, well, I'll say platforms that allow you to identify talent and some other things, but, but are you seeing organizations and leaders begin to think about, um, you know, talent kind of in that way? So it, a, a way that they could duplicate their top talent 
a little bit more or just uh, level up the talent within their organization at now globally, now that we're not necessarily limited to those geographics? Yes, uh, there are organizations that are thinking that way, but I don't necessarily think that that's the best way to go about it. Okay. And the the, the reason I say that is because Please. the just because you have top talent doesn't necessarily mean that the top talent is going to work together. And this is where oh, sure. leadership becomes Absolutely. truly important is yeah. identifying you know, what talent you need and how that talent can work effectively together. And that's sure. why I think the the challenge of leadership has become really, really difficult. It's, yeah. it's become more difficult than ever because if you are leading remote teams in different time zones with different cultures, yeah. that's not necessarily going to give you the best results. And so sure. you can experiment with you know, getting that top 20%, certainly, yeah. and there are organizations that do that, but you have to realize that there are going to be challenges and issues with that as well. Yeah. And, and some of those issues are going to be, you know, top talent wants to accelerate they want to get the promotions and mm -hmm. you know and so what's the right composition for your team and is it three players at at the top 20 percent, and then some role players to use kind of a sports analogy <laughs> um you know just knowing what's going to provide you the best team and organizational results is really yep. important okay so so i know i know we talked about remote work and, and some of that, and it seems like you're really, really optimistic about this as kind of like a, a coming trend. Um, is, it, is there any other trend as we think about kind of the future of work that like you're really, really optimistic about or really, really excited about? Yeah, certainly. Um, I would say one is this idea of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and I would huh. add okay. belonging to that. Um, so, you know, I, I'm so optimistic about it because I've, I've started to really get educated on this and have had some incredible conversations with people who are, are really into this. And, yeah. and I'm, what fills me with excitement is that leaders now are being developed in order to lead through this and create mm -hmm. the sense of belonging and yeah. in, in, in a way that hadn't happened in the past. And sure. so that fills me with, you know, my mission in life is to help people reach their full performance potential. Yeah. And one of the things that we haven't talked about yet is some of the volunteer work that I do, which over the last 30 years, I've mentored primarily young African-American boys. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I have seen performance potential that has just been completely ignored for three decades now. Sure. Yep. I know. Education, lack of opportunity, poverty, whatever you want to yep. say about that. Well, imagine if we can include the entire potential workforce and yep. optimize them. What problems can we solve? So this is why I get so excited about that. Yeah, let's develop the talent that you know has opportunities, but let's not ignore other talent. And so yep. I have seen now two generations of leaders with the new leaders coming into organizations now yeah. really have a sense for how to create a sense of belonging within their organizations. And that's very exciting, right? We won't have, we shouldn't have as many marginalized populations, populations sure. that don't have opportunity. Yeah. So that's, that's an exciting trend that I see and it should only get better. Yeah. That's huge. That's huge. That's huge. That's huge. Well, and 
maybe we maybe we build on that a little bit. And so, um, if diversity, equity, and inclusion, you know, and 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 belonging, and that sense of belonging, that that probably would be, I'm imagining a a, a practical and pragmatic uh, tip or recommendation that you would make to leaders uh, of organizations as they're building. Um, do you want do you want to uh, dive in a little bit to um, you know what that looks like and you know how are or or what is one of the best ways if your organization is let's just say ready because every organization is not uh, to kind of begin that journey uh, to make sure that that the leaders that you're identifying and or current leaders that you have are are creating or, or, or moving towards creating that sense of belonging? It's a great topic. And and as I mentioned to you, this is not my area of expertise, but it's something that I've become educated on of over the last few years. And just one thing that I think is really important to note is I, I had a conversation with a woman a couple of years ago. I, I, I can't remember exactly when. And I was yeah. like, why do we need the B at the end of this? D-E-I and B. And, B. and I said, isn't inclusion enough? And she said, no, Don, actually, belonging is an outcome of inclusion. Mm. And I was like, oh, well, that's a great, it just, the light bulb came off. So I just mentioned that because, you know, that's what we want is we want to create this sense that you belong with this organization. And one of my guests on the last season that I did on leadership is Dr. Vanessa Dresscat. And she cited during the, the interview that, uh, as many as 60% of people in organizations report having feeling, having felt excluded or ostracized or invisible within their organization, 60%. So when you, when you are excluded, what happens is in your brain, mm-hmm. you're, the, the same pain receptors that uh, you experience when you feel physical pain are triggered. Wow. So your brain, when, when somebody excludes you, skips you, yeah. ignores you, you are feeling pain. Wow. And not only that, not only wow. do you feel pain from the individual who yeah. slighted you, you think the whole team feels that way about you. So now that 60% of people yeah. have felt that. Now try to do your best work. It's not possible. It's yeah. not possible. So yeah. this is why creating this sense of belonging is so important. And so I'll just give you a few ideas that I have done over the years that help feel, uh, help get people included in the organization. So the first thing, when we, when we extended an offer at my previous company, when we extended an offer to somebody and they accepted, we would have people on our team Mm -hmm. connect with the accepting candidate on LinkedIn, not after they started, but before. And they would say, you know, things like, Hey, welcome to the team. Uh, We're excited to have you join that sort of thing. So, now this person has, has made a choice, a life choice, an important choice, and, and now immediately they're feeling included within the organization. Yep. And maybe we would send that person an email like, these are the things that we're working on and, and things like that. We would ask during the interview, if we knew we were hiring them, we would ask, what's your favorite candy? And they would think, oh, this is some sort of psychological question. No. Yep. When they showed up on their first day of work, if their favorite candy was Hershey Kisses, they had a bowl of Hershey's Kisses on their, wow. on their desk. Okay. So just a simple thing like that. Yeah. On their desk on the first day, they had an employee roster with pictures of every person in the organization, what their favorite movie was, favorite restaurant, where they were born, all yeah. of these different things. And wow. they could leaf through it and see, 
oh, Steve likes Pulp Fiction. Oh, yeah. uh, John <laughs> likes Thai food. And, you know, yeah. these sorts of things. So automatically they feel connected. And then we would do the same thing for that person, share it with everybody else. And so we were creating these connections. Wow. We never let an employee leave the first mm -hmm. day of work without doing something meaningful talking yeah. to a client, you know, because a lot of times we're, we're having people you know, read manuals and, and things like that, but do something meaningful. The day they're going to talk about your company the most is after that first day. Sure. Their mom's going to call them. Their friends are going to call them. They're going to talk to their spouse or their whatever. Yeah. They're talking about your company on that first day. Oh, it was great. I showed up to work, you know, so we, we what we want to do is, yeah. you know, make them feel like they belong, but also turn their enthusiasm for working for this organization into engagement. And the quicker we can do that, the the longer that they're going to stay yeah. with our organization, the faster that they're going to, yeah. um, you know, perform at a high level. So those are just yeah. a few really, really simple things yeah. that you can do, uh, you know, day one and before. Yeah. No, that's significant, my friend. I mean, I've seen, I've seen research where, you know, literally after that first 90 days, like it's kind of all downhill from there. Right. Um, and, and frankly, I, I've done that research. So yeah. I, I know it. And, and, it, and it's really about that. I, I think about, you know, the new employee experience. People have said, well, nobody will ever be as engaged uh, as an employee is on their first day. And that's not true. They're not engaged. Mm -hmm. It's like being on a first date. You're not yeah. engaged on that first date. You're excited. Yeah. Uh, you might you know, have a little nervous energy, but that's not yeah. engagement. Yeah. Um, you, you have to turn that, convert that enthusiasm into engagement. Yeah. 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 That emotional attachment is definitely not going to occur uh, on day one. No. Uh, you know, kind of moving forward. That's, that is absolutely for sure. Um, well, my friend, I could spend hours learning from you, um, you know, but, but as we start to wind down just a you know, just a little bit, I want, I want to, you know, try and move us in, in to a place where we can, uh, conclude a little bit. Um, you know, just as, uh, number one, as, as we're thinking about, um, 12 geniuses specifically, um, and some of the topics that we've covered today, um, are there any specific episodes that kind of jump out to you that, you know, uh, our listeners who want to learn more uh, and can go a little bit deeper on, you know, that, that they can come and, and follow? We'll be happy to include those in like the show notes and, and some mm -hmm. links for folks to be able to tap into your community. Yeah, I think there are a few that are relevant for your audience. Um, the first is a trend that I see in the workplace that um, maybe we didn't expect we touched on it a little bit, which is mental health. Mm. Um, I, I think that leaders, many of them are unprepared to handle mental health conversations. And yeah. so one of the great episodes, and it's the third most popular episode, and I have no doubt it'll be the most popular episode that we've ever done, is with yeah. Major Lauren Serrano. She's with the United States Marine Corps. She's actually the aide-de-camp to the U.S. Uh, Chief of Naval Operations. So wow. she's at the White House frequently, and sure. she's she's all over um, with traveling with the Navy. Mm -hmm. And we talked about uh, when one of the Marines under her command committed suicide, mm. and how she led through that loss, but also led through the mental health challenge that her Marines had. Mm. And in, if anybody wants to learn how to handle mental health issues, mm -hmm. facilitate conversations. Now she worked for. Cyber Command, 
And people have this idea that if they say I'm, I'm having a mental health challenge or I need help or something like that, they're going to get their security clearance revoked. Mm. And she had to build trust with them and say, no, actually we will maintain your current security clearance and, and we can have these types of conversations. So she normalized those types of conversations. And then she also led 229 Marines through this very, very challenging situation. So that's one that comes to mind. I've had two episodes with Dr. Robert Eichinger and these are on leadership, the brain and managing lasting change. Um, So I would check out those two. And then one that I'm really proud of because I know it helped save somebody's life or turn somebody's life around is um, from active addiction to CEO. And Mm -hmm. I interviewed one of my friends 20 plus years who um, was a drug addict. And now he's CEO of, of an organization. A friend of mine called me months after the episode mm-hmm. aired and I hadn't talked to this friend in, in years. Mm-hmm. And he say, said, I, I listened to that episode and, and now I'm sober. And wow. he said, he said, every day I wake up, it's like um, I'm released from prison. Mm. And, uh, you know, so, so I'm very proud of that. And, you know, we've done episodes on the future of war, the future of counterterrorism. In fact, yeah. that one was was really interesting because the the guest basically called the January sixth insurrection a month before it happened. Um, wow! And then the future of faith, I think, is another good one. So, uh, I think they're all pretty interesting. But for your audience, those are some of the ones that I think are most interesting. Okay. Okay. Well, hey, Don McPherson. Thank you so, so much for spending a little bit of time with us today uh, on the Only Dream Big Pod. Um, so excited, learned so much. Uh, also looking to tap into, um, you know, 12 Geniuses a little bit more. Uh, would love to, when when calendars make sense, uh, for us to tap in uh, because this, this other, you know, three quarters uh, that we have in this decade... <laughs> We, I am sure that folks, I, I can already imagine the messages uh, where folks are going to, you know, ask, well, what's happening in second and third and fourth quarter? Uh, so maybe we can figure out a way to uh, hop on and, and dive into uh, some of those predictions and things for folks to look out, uh, you know, for a little bit more. But once again, just want to thank you for being a guest on the show. And my pleasure. I'd love to do it again. All right. Well, thank you, everyone. This has been the Only Dream Big Pod. I am your host, Donnie Bedney, and we'll see you next week. Take care.